Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Nina Pantic and I'll be joined by Irina Falcone and our special guest, Chanda Rubin. While we don't think she needs any introduction, for those who might not know her, she's a former world number six who has won seven WTA titles and 10 in doubles. She's very familiar with the Australian Open, having won the doubles title there in Melbourne in 1996. For the past few years, she's been a regular face on Tennis Channel, commentating and appearing in studio at the biggest tournaments in the world. She's got insight into the new normal as a broadcaster, having covered the U.S. Open and French Open last year. From her home in Louisiana, Chanda shares how she discovered the sport, why she turned pro at 15, and how she navigated life after the tour by getting her degree at Harvard, no less, and getting her start in broadcast. Let's get into our interview with Chanda Rubin. All right, Chanda, welcome to the show. It's so fun to have you on. I'm so excited to talk to you guys today. We want to know how your quarantine shutdown holiday season has been. I know you have a small child and I know that you're living at home. So what's life been like for you? It's been different. You know, like so many people, we've had to make adjustments and it was a bit unexpected. I'm thinking about the time now. It's been about a year um, since the pandemic hit and everything shut down, no schools, you know, homeschooling. So I've been fully immersed. Um, I have a a four-year-old now and an 11-year-old was 10 at the time. And we just hit the ground running and, you know, haven't looked back. You do what you have to do. Uh, And I think at the end of the day, we have appreciated, though, more time together and more time with the family. So that's been the one benefit through all of the, uh, the challenges. So you said that it's been about a month since you've been on camera. Has that month gone very quickly or have you missed it? I I missed it a little bit. Once I got on today, I realized I missed it. (laughs) So I don't know what that says, but maybe it's you guys. I think definitely it's it's talking with the two of you, which is always fun and relaxed. Um, You know, but you kind of just get into into life. And, you know, we've been back at school with the kids part. One of them is part time. The other is full time. And, you know, with the holidays and and just trying, you know, to manage all of that, um, you know, with family having to make adjustments. The holidays didn't look the way they did in previous years, but, you know, we got by. And so you get kind of lost in all the everyday stuff. Um, so it's nice to kind of take a step back and, and, you know, get back, talk a little bit, talk some tennis. Um, there's a lot going on with the start of the year, getting ready to start this first week under our belts. Um, but the Grand Slam year getting ready to start. So it's kind of an exciting time as well. What does your work life look like moving forward? We're going into the Australian Open. Are you working remote for that? I'm going to be in LA, so I'll be traveling, um, working the week before the Australian Open. I'll probably do some things during that, but I'll be uh, mostly home, maybe doing some remote stuff. And then after the Australian Open, um, I'll be back in LA again. So it'll be interesting. And I think, you know, fun to hit the ground, uh, hit the ground again and, and, you know, get 
out and about um, while still staying safe. <laughs> so I have that, of course, top of mind. But I enjoy going out to LA. I enjoy being in the studio. We have the new studio, which um, you know, hopefully everybody's gotten a chance to, to take a look at. But I'm excited to get back in, get back with the group, and um, you know, and watch some good tennis, analyze some good tennis, talk good tennis, and uh, go from there. So the last time I saw you was at the U.S. Open, and it was kind of remote, but we were courtside. It, it, and I'm just curious, is the difference between actually being remote, you're going to be in LA and seeing tournament uh, tournament that's happening in yeah. Australia. Is it just day and night compared to being next to the court and seeing what's happening there? It, it's very different. And, you know, I've kind of gotten used to all of it only because, you know, even when I'm in LA, I'm, I'm not at home. So it still feels like you know, I'm more connected and I'm more, you know, involved. I mean, the, the environment is totally different, um, even being in studio. But of course, when you are at the on-site, you know, at the tournament, on the grounds, you're feeling the energy, you know, you're seeing, you know, people in passing, you're catching up, you are, you know, able to talk to players, um, you know, at times. And it's a very different a very different energy, a very different vibe. And I definitely get more, a little more immersed in it in a different way. So I appreciate that whenever I can be on site, I of course prefer that uh, above all else. But, you know, certainly it's been nice having the option of doing things remotely and, you know, the studio, having that, the capabilities of, you know, bringing in tournaments from all over the world, any time of the day or night, you just couldn't do that. And be on site everywhere. So, you know, it's, it's a great middle ground, um, you know, to, to have uh, being in studio, but certainly on site doesn't be, there's not much that can beat that. So follow up on, you said day or night, what's going to be <laughs> your schedule with the Australian Open time change? Is it, it's, it's quite significant or am I totally off? It is. And I always get a little confused because throughout the year, I mean, we go from obviously tournaments in the U.S. to tournaments in Europe, you know, to Asia. And, and so I always start thinking, OK, what's what's the time difference? For sure, I'm going to have some 1 a.m. <laughs> that I know. Oh, yeah. um, but, you know, I mean, that's kind of the, the fun part as well. Um, not always fun getting up and being feeling like you're the only two people up <laughs> in the world. But, um, you know, to have those matches live and, you know, to, to get them as they're happening and, and to bring them to people. Again, that's just a different energy as well, even when you're in studio. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll be it'll be some crazy um you know, time differences. I always wait until I'm there to see kind of how they schedule us, you know, who gets what shift. Um, but we work together. It's a team effort. Some days you get the short end <laughs> of the straw and you accept it. You know, you figure, okay, it's going to even out. I'll get some better hours maybe uh, during the week. But, um, you know, just like playing arena, I mean, you know, some, some schedules are a little crazier than others. You deal with it. I mean, it's the benefit of, of having these opportunities and you want to go out and uh, take advantage of them. So it's similar being in the, in the studio. You know, you just have uh, an appreciation for the opportunity. And hopefully when it's a good match, you forget about all that. Right. <laughs> right. I do understand like the, the virtual commentating. I think that makes sense. But when it comes to doing player interviews, I feel like we've lost something with not, without having a player on set. You said not being able to kind of immerse yourself and speak to players more candidly and, you know, just talk to them in the hallways and that kind of thing. Has it been really hard to do the interviews and the player interactions via Skype and Zoom and all of that? I've gotten actually, you know, a, a little more used to doing that now. You know, obviously, you know, 
the ability to talk to players, you know, at all is, is, you know, a bit of a special thing, especially after match, getting their thoughts, you know, getting, you know, in real time, sort of where they are mentally, emotionally. Um, and we've been able to actually do a little bit more of that remotely, um, which isn't always easy coordinating, you know, those, you know, types of interviews. Uh, but I would I think being on site, it's probably pretty similar. Um, you know, when you think about it, you know, it's not always easy to get a player after a match when they're ready to just, you know, hit the locker room, take care of their business, get ready for the next match. Um, so, you know, all of it is, it poses a little bit of a challenge, but I, I find that it pushes me a little bit more, um, you know, having to do things a little more remotely, being kind of forced into, um, you know, into this box, so to speak. And, you know, you've got to be clear on what you're asking. You've got to be clear on, you know, what you're, you know, looking to get from them or, or you know, what they're conveying because it doesn't come across the same as it is when you're face-to-face. -face. You know, there's a little bit of a, a break in that connection. Um, so it takes maybe a little more work. Uh, a little, it's a little more challenging, but I actually appreciate that part of it, um, you know, a little bit more, you know, finding ways to still make that connection, even though you're, you know, looking at somebody on the screen <laughs> after a match um, and, and you're in the studio. So we've had some, some actually fun interviews in spite of it being remote. <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hey everyone, you're listening to an episode of the Tennis.com podcast with legend Chanda Rubin. She's sharing what it's like to be a commentator in the new normal. Keep listening for more. So, I mean, we've, we've been talking a little bit about your commentating career, but we can't take away the fact that you had a phenomenal professional tennis career. So for the fans listening, what, how did you get into tennis? Like, how did you get brought up in it? And I, what's your story? We'd love to hear about it. Well, I will first say that coming up through through the sport, I did not envision I would still be in the sport at this stage. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, as a broadcaster, commentator, you know, it's just sort of morphed into, you know, this second career. Um, but I started tennis like a, a lot of a lot of kids because someone I knew played the game and put a racket in my hand. And for me, it was my parents. Um, they actually built a tennis court. They built their house, the house that they still live in today, um, 42 years ago <laughs> now. Wow. And um, they built a tennis court. Uh, my dad, you know, had it laid. He got some friends to help him paint the lines. And, you know, this was like, a, you know, just a, a backyard <laughs> type of type of deal. But but it was a full court. And I was lucky to have that. Um, you know, my parents picked up the sport after after college and loved it. They would play tournaments um, on the weekends. They would play with friends. Um, and I remember anytime I woke up in the mornings, I was kind of a late sleeper compared to everybody else. Anytime I woke up, nobody was in the house. I knew they were out in the tennis court. My next thought was like, oh, they're on the court. And of course, I would, you know, toddle out there in my gown with my racket. And it was just something that was always a part of my life. Um, and I was fortunate to have good support, you know, to have a little bit of talent to have good help, um, you know, through the, the course of my development. And I was very lucky being in Lafayette, Louisiana. We had a great tennis program. So from the time I was seven years old, 
Um, I was in that program with some of the best juniors in the area, um, excellent coaching fundamentals. Um, so I was fortunate. I didn't have to leave home, um, you know, to continue along, you know, my tennis path and turn pro at 15 um, and just kind of went from there. <laughs> You know, we, we love to we love a label in tennis, obviously. So, what when you hear world number six, former you know former world number six, what do you think? And do you wish it was like top five, or are you like, yeah, it was so number six, I'm the best? Well, you know, of course, I'm like, oh, why couldn't it have been five? And then, <laughs> oh yeah, why couldn't it have been one? Right. <laughs> of course. I mean, you know, we always want more, and you know, certainly, you know, when you're in the midst of your career, at least for me. Um, you know, you don't think about, you know, those things so much because you're, you're immersed in it. You're always looking at the next opportunity, you know, the next goal, um, you know, the, the next thing that you want to do. So now that I'm retired, of course, I have a little more time to think along those lines in terms of the totality of my career and what I accomplished, the ranking that I got to, you know, the best result in a major, because that's what everybody wants to know, especially those that maybe didn't see me um, as a player. Um, and, you know, also, you know, tournament wins, you know, how many tournaments did you win? And people still don't understand it's very difficult to win one tournament, you know, let alone multiple. And, and you know, we sort of get... Um, you know, we, we get used to hearing these crazy numbers of all-time greats, but, you know, I do appreciate it more being on this side than I did when I was playing. Uh, with that being said, you know, it's always like, man, I could have gotten this, <laughs> this match if I had just done that. Or uh, So occasionally I go into that realm, but most of the time I, I'm, I'm just not thinking about it and just focus on, on the now and what I'm doing in the present. So, But that's the competitor you know. in you, though. <laughs> that's the competitive side. I think a little bit. And so I do at this stage, I, I struggle sometimes to just not get into that space. You know, so, you know, even with my husband, you, he'll want to compete at something or he'll want to, you know, play something. <laughs> I'm like, look, <laughs> before we start, I'm not trying to compete hard. I don't want to get pissed off. I don't want to, you know, no trash talking because then you're going to bring out the worst in me. And, and I just want it to be nice and calm now. We're not playing for anything. So let's keep this uh, in perspective. So I, I do work a little bit <laughs> now to, to make sure I keep myself in a good space. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun sometimes to kind of think back on that and to pull from it you know, in, in what we're doing now, you know, to pull from, you know, just that determination we had as players, you know, the, the confidence we gained from, from, you know, what you accomplish and bringing that to the next task. I certainly use all of that now. That's really funny that you mentioned that when you have to compete with your husband, I, I was recently playing pickleball and uh, I told my friends, they were like, oh, let's just go have some fun. And I was like, what's, what do you mean? We're not competing. We're not, there's not something on the line. Is there a prize in the end? And I was like, Oh, I have to bring it way down. I have to really just focus on that. But the, the competitive side never really shuts down when you're an athlete of your caliber. And, um, that is owed a lot to one, the way you were born, but also your parents and having a tennis court in their backyard can sometimes make a player actually resent the sport a little bit. Did your parents push you? Like, were they always wanting you to play tennis or did you seek it out? 
I never felt like they pushed me. And, and it was funny early on, they literally, I was in the way, you know, because they love to play. I mean, and, you know, they were happy to put a racket in my hand and, and, you know, have me go out and enjoy it with them, but they were, you know, wanting to, to play themselves. And, you know, as a, a three, four year old, I mean, there's not much you can do <laughs> except get in the way. So they put me off on the fence and, and, you know, I don't know why I, I had that mindset, but I would literally hit on the fence and until they would try to hit with me or toss me a few balls. And if, you know, hitting on the fence, you know, the ball doesn't come back. You hit it and it just kind of drops. <laughs> so you got to hit it hard. So maybe that's why, you know, I became a bigger hitter, um, maybe starting with, with those origins. But I just, I guess I enjoyed it um, at that that early stage, and you know I was you know always out there looking to do and try to do what they were doing, and so finally my dad kind of took some pity on me, and and started hitting with me, and it just started from there. But yeah, no, did not push me, um, didn't try to coach me, which I think was the best decision um, for for us, um, and you know just allowed me to to develop the way I needed to, and you know to have the the input and the expertise of, of coaches um, helped me in my development, but he never, never got in the way, at least from my perspective, um, never got in the way of that. Very different from our upbringing, isn't it, Nina? <laughs> Both of our dads <laughs> wanted to be on the court all the time, so very Yes, different. I mean, Every very controlling. My dad was a big controlling, so I think he knew, okay, I got to step back because <laughs> this may not work. Yeah, that's a smart dad. <laughs> I, I do a little too much. <laughs> But you turned pro at 15. I think that's crazy young, especially today when we see players now playing into their mid-30s. But that's crazy young in any any sport, anything. So how did you decide to turn pro? Well, I started playing, you know, from juniors, it seemed to go pretty quickly, you know, just looking back on it. But, you know, from, you know, playing 12s and playing up, you know, at that point, starting to play some 16s events. And then at 13 and 14, starting to play, you know, 18s events and, you know, 14 starting to play some challenger um, low-level tour events it just seemed like a natural progression and at each level I was able to find success I was able to keep building and keep growing and so you know when I was going at 15 you know getting closer to turning 15 when I contemplated you know what the next steps were and of course this was with the help of, of my parents and just you know looking at the my overall situation when I looked at okay the option to go to college, which would have required me waiting another two or three years, um, and, and looking at where my development was at that stage, um, breaking into the top 100, that for me was a bit of an indicator um, that I could play at that level, that it made me feel like I belonged um, at that level, and it would not have made a lot of sense to wait to try to go to college or to kind of stay stagnant. Um, so it, it just made a lot of sense. And the funny thing was when I turned pro, you know, I was unsure. I was like, am I going to turn pro? Did, did I talk about this with my parents? Like the U.S. Open's rolling around. And, you know, as an American, you know, any big decisions, a lot of times they end up around that, <laughs> around that tournament. And so I remember going, you know, to the U.S. Open that year and I was like, okay, I'll just check the box. <laughs> if, if it's wrong, I guess I can, you know, change it. But oh <laughs> just check the pro box. <laughs> And that's how I remember it happening. But yeah, it just seemed like it was it was a natural part of the progression. <laughs> it's so it's so funny you say check the box because in 
every other sport, it's a big deal when someone commits either to a school or commits to being pro or, and it, for us, it's, oh, it says P or A. Cool. Right. <laughs> We're good. Yeah. It seems odd. I was like, is this really how it works? But I guess so. I'm not all the way sure, but I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> check the box. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. I remember that how it worked with us when we were playing ITFs and yeah. stuff. So like it's yep. hasn't yep. changed. Has but I did changed. you you mentioned that you you didn't, you know, you forewent college, but I saw somewhere that you did actually pick up a degree a little bit later in life. And it may I have did. been Your research, from Nina. Somewhere wow. called Harvard <laughs> Extension School. Have you heard of Harvard? <laughs> I've heard of it. <laughs> yes, I, it's actually one of, of um, you know, my most prized, you know, accomplishments. Um, the fact that I was able to go back and get my degree. And, you know, I made the decision when, when I retired, you know, it was a, kind of a tough transition because I had been injured and I'd spent the last probably three years of, you know, trying to still play, struggling with surgeries and injuries. I ended up with five surgeries. I'm at the end of my career, three of them in, you know, that little period of time. And I just couldn't get back primarily because of my knee. And so I had, you know, the disappointment, you know, the frustration of going for years, spending most of my time rehabbing, you know, rehabbing, going home, rehabbing again. And it just takes a toll you know, on your mindset when you're not able to find, you know, the ability to get back on the court. So when I decided to retire, it's like, okay, what am I going to do? I, you know, done a little bit of commentating and just, you know, you know, popping in uh, to the booth a couple of times. I would, you know, thought about enjoying more of those opportunities, but it was not an easy mental transition. And for me, I always felt like you got to make use of your time. You know, if, if you're not, you know, getting something from it, if, if you're not, you know, putting yourself in a better position one way or the other, then you're kind of wasting your time. And so um, at a certain point, I felt, you know what, I would love to go back. I always um, thought my education was important. My mom was a teacher. Uh, my dad was a judge, attorney, then judge. And so education was always tremendously important. And so I thought, you know, this would be a great use of my time. Um, it would be a great experience. I had got a state license at that point. So I said, you know, I want to learn more about, you know, just, you know, economics and finance. And, and I knew that's what I wanted to do from a commercial perspective. So it just fit. And I thought, why not? <laughs> and if you're going to get a degree, like go to a good school. That's decent. <laughs> so that's a decent I was school. like, you know, might as well, um, <laughs> you know, kill a few birds with one stone. And I, it was one of the best decisions that I made. I loved it. Um, going to Harvard, you know, their program, their extension school program required um, a certain number of semesters, you know, on in class, you know, on site. So I spent a summer in Boston, I spent a winter, and I spent a spring. And and I say, I have to tell you, the winter was tough. <laughs> I'm glad I did it, but that was the toughest. I think I, I had an apartment there for that period of time, dropped my key in the snow, never found it. And I still don't know how do you lose a key in the snow, but I guess it happens. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that is amazing. Oh you would God. not be used to cold weather. You're based in LA and Louisiana. Of course you're not yeah. going to like yeah. Boston. <laughs> I, I had no experience with that and literally walking, feeling like I'm on even ground, even footing and just biting it. <laughs> Ending up on my butt. So oh, um, it was, it was good experience, a varied experience, but it, it's definitely one of the best things that, that I did. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey listeners, this is an episode of the Tennis.com podcast with special guest Chanda Rubin. She's sharing how she discovered the sport of tennis and why she turned pro at the tender age of 15. Keep listening for more. So it sounds like whatever you're passionate about, I mean, you succeed at. Uh, and as you can tell from your commentating, was that something else that was just kind of a natural progression as well after tennis? It, you know, it it wasn't as natural as it might have seemed. You know, it, it took some time for me to get consistent opportunities. And, you know, you think, okay, you play the sport, top 10, you have good results, a pretty good resume. And and I didn't find there there were a lot of opportunities. And, you know, also just building um, from that standpoint. Uh, it, was, it was tough at times, you know, figuring out how to, how to create a pathway to get better, you know, to get more comfortable, to get more, you know, confident, you know, with analyzing matches, especially making the transition from being a player, you're always a little, you know, a little hesitant because you know how tough it is out there. You know how difficult these decisions are and, you know, you don't want to talk too harshly about anybody, but your, your job is still there to analyze, you know, the match. Um, so, you know, learning that, and just getting more comfortable with that side of it um, and getting more opportunities to get comfortable uh, in, in those different areas. Also, you know, there's the, the, um, the commentating, analyzing part where you're in the booth. There's the desk part where you're talking and, you know, setting up stories and, and you know, giving your opinions. There's the interview part. You know, there's different components. And, you know, going, transitioning into, into television and broadcasting, they just assume you can do it all. <laughs> it's like, okay, go interview this player. <laughs> like, wait, I haven't actually interviewed before, but okay. <laughs> okay, any type of questions I should ask? Or, you know, you're, you're in that space that's very different from, you know, being a player and, and the competitive mindset. And so a lot of that I'm grateful for, for those opportunities to, to learn and grow. But it wasn't easy to get those consistent opportunities. Um, but it's been so much fun with Tennis Channel over the last three years now. And I feel like I've, I've improved a lot just because I have a consistent um, a consistent group of people and, you know, some consistent opportunities to get out there and, and you know, fly the craft. <laughs> just like practice. You just got to keep at it, right? Much. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. And I, and I understand exactly what you mean when they just kind of toss you into it. I know Irina's <laughs> done some color commentary I have and they're like, off you go. And I'm like, yeah, uh, what? what? But yeah. then you, you, you feel like you've watched it so much. You've seen it so much. But then when you sit there and you're with the, in the booth, you're just like, no, no, this is a little different than how I, <laughs> I thought it was going to go. It's very different. And, and each situation is a little bit different. Like for the Australian Open last year, uh, Caroline Wozniacki was retiring. And so they're like, and I'm in the middle of commentating a match, no preparation, nothing. And they, they say, um, can you go and do, if she loses, can you go and do her on-court interview? And they have this big presentation and you know, they're going to, you know, the tournament director is going to come out. And I was like, in the, in the middle of this match, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> okay, what's going on again? And and then in the midst of it, I'm having, oh, that was a great point. And wow, she just really moved in. She stayed low to the shot. And then I'm hitting my talk back and go, okay, tell me again <laughs> what we're talking about here. 
Um, and so, you know, you just get throw, thrown into situations and she ended up winning that match. So I actually had another day to at least prepare. There you <laughs> get go. Get some makeup in my bag. <laughs> And, and that kind of thing but it's it's so funny uh the different situations that come up it's always something new I think that's one of the things I, I enjoy about it uh, it's never the same uh from one day to the next but yeah it's it's you know get out and do it <laughs> and you gotta say yeah I can do it <laughs> of course and there's a bit of an adrenaline rush I think every time you get tossed into a situation especially if it's on the fly like that but when you're going on court to do the on-court interview I feel like there's an adrenaline rush and you're like gearing up for it right Definitely. And, you know, again, you, I mean, you know, the emotions that players are experiencing after a win, the space they're in, you don't know what they may say. You don't know, you know, where the interview might go. Um, yes, you kind of have these basic standard questions because it's a post-match, but you also want to look for opportunities if it comes up, you know, to ask about something they touch on in the interview. So, so it requires a certain amount of being present, a certain amount of, of concentration, you know, but also that, that same, you know, kind of nervous energy because, you know, it's, it's, it's a moment, it's a moment in time, but it's an important moment. And it's part of sort of what you're doing um, throughout the day. So yeah, there's a lot that kind of goes into it that you don't think about until you're in it. <laughs> it's, it's funny. You probably are more nervous sometimes doing an on-court interview than doing, you know, quarterfinals at a French open, big court, no problem, but Definitely. Some, I, yeah. My I, first on-court interview, I have to say, was Roger Federer. What? <laughs> he was so nice. He was so nice. I think it was Indian Wells. I did the Indian Wells Miami back-to-back. -back, and that was oh like my, my first sort of big commentating, you know. And he was, he was lovely. And I asked a question. It was kind of a run-on, two-part. And he was like, okay, tell me again. What are you asking? <laughs> okay, let me clarify. <laughs> But oh it was great. But yeah, it's it's those it's definitely those experiences that um, when you you don't have as much practice the way we practice on the court, you don't They're have as different. much practice at. So yeah, it's a little different. Nervous but you know what? We also have to ha we handle adversity well. You know, when absolutely you, you put pressure Adjust. on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> got to make adjustments. You got to move on from losses sometimes, and you really mess up. You're like, okay, we're just yep. gonna go on to the next yep. one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So the Australian Open is coming up and you have, uh, you know, done quite well there in your career. A little bit of winning Grand Slam doubles there, semifinals of singles. What is it about Melbourne that worked for you and what do you look forward to each year as now commentator? I think for me going to Australia beginning of the year, it's a Grand Slam. It's a major. So if you can't get up for a major, you know, what can you sort of get motivated for? The fact that it was at the beginning of the year where you had this, you know, feeling of a fresh start and, you know, everybody's kind of starting from the same place, but I always felt like, you know, I had control over my off season and, and if I could train well, if I was healthy, I always felt good going into the beginning of the year. And Australia, it's just such a relaxed, you know, fun place. Um, you know, being a player, the way they welcome us, the, the way the tournament's organized, it wasn't as, um, I would say, as stressful as some of the other majors can be. Uh, it just was a, a more relaxed environment. And I always I always enjoyed it. I always kind of gravitated towards that. Um, the heat didn't bother me. I'm from, you know, Louisiana, so that was a bonus. I'm like, you know, it's a little hot. I might be, you know, seeing mirages and seeing things, but I can recover, I think. And I always felt pretty good about um, my chances from that perspective. So I think it was just a number of different factors that made Australia um, a, a 
positive um, event for me, a, an event where I, I approached it with a very positive mindset and, and you know, my game, to, game together um, a number of years down there. And so, yeah, I, I'm very appreciative and, and I love going back as well. I think some players like Irina would like to spend 19 hours in their hotel room and then only have to work out for five. <laughs> like, I don't think that's that bad. At least it's not 24. It I depends think on your perspective. they would want to unless they're forced to. Yeah. Like anytime you, you tell a player, you got to do this. Then they're like, uh, no. Tell any human that they I don't have know. to do something. <laughs> I know that you host Game Set Live with Zena Garrison and you had Serena Williams on. How did you pull that? Are you guys buds? And, you know, what are your thoughts on her? She's still out here grinding. Uh, it's it's incredible. Uh, she's still motivated. I mean, she still has, you know, that, that mindset. And, and that's kind of what I see as the hardest thing to maintain when you've done as much as she's done and when you've been out at it as long as she's been at it. You know, we're friends. And, um, you know, sometimes if it works, she's like, yeah, I can do it other times. It's good luck. Um, but I think for, for me, what I appreciated is the fact that she made the time. A lot of it had to do with Zena Garrison. So um, I've been doing game set chat with, with Zena and it's been a lot of fun. Um, it, it's a bit of going back down memory lane. We've talked mostly to, you know, players that we're friends with that we can, you know, text or call up and say, look, can you, you know, do a chat with us next week? And, and so that part has been easy. Uh, it was a little tougher getting Serena. I had to work a little bit harder <laughs> trying to coordinate her schedule and, you know, stay on top of it because she's got so much going on. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was the respect, um, you know, partly that she had for me, but that she had for Zena as well. And it just came together. And we had a great conversation. Um, I had a lot of fun with that one. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's nice to kind of go back down memory lane sometimes. It was a really good listen, I have to admit. I was just like, Serena Williams, Chana Rubin, and Zena Garrison. This is incredible. I love the show. I think it's a fun concept as well. Yeah, we're having a great time with it. Um, you know, we're looking at kind of resetting now with the start of the year and, you know, trying to continue to push the direction, you know, talking tennis, but also talking other things, you know, other topics, current events. We kind of delved into that a bit with all of the, um, you know, social justice conversations um, that were going on and a lot of the things that were happening over the summer. So, you know, we had a, a lot of fun um, with it, but I think we also had some good conversations. So, you know, that would be the goal going forward, continue to, to push the envelope a little bit. Feels like you're superwoman, just doing everything and superwoman. you have two children and you're working full time and it's virtual and it's not virtual and you're traveling. It just seems like a lot, a lot of fun and a really busy lifestyle. And we appreciate that you've taken time for us. I enjoy it. And, and I have a, a you know nice bit of help, I have to say. And then sometimes, you know, and I, I mean, you guys probably know this very well. Sometimes you also have to just say, okay, I can't do this or no, that doesn't work. And you have to be okay with it. Sometimes that's hard for us as women because we look to try to do it all, <laughs> but you don't always have to. So I'm learning that as well. So hopefully I can continue to do a good job with that too. Well, we appreciate you taking the time and uh, we look forward to hearing you from LA slash Australia. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll be, I'll, I'll be seeing you hopefully soon commentating somewhere. And thank, thank you again for taking the time. It's been awesome to chat with you. It has been, and hopefully we can work together again as we did in New York and we can be on site and, and get back to some normalcy. But until then, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you guys today as well. 
from the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. This has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers, Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers, Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.